Today we begin a brand new series on love. And love is such an important part of our lives. But you know, sometimes we get confused by it. I mean, the word is used in so many weird ways. I mean, we say, I love my mother. And then we say, I love hot dogs. <laughs> Surely we don't mean the same thing here. Because we use the word a lot. We use it to uh, indicate our interest in activities. I love to ski. We talk about our desire for objects. I love my boat. We talk about our feelings for animals. I love my dog, our attitudes toward nature. I just love it when it rains. And we also use it to express commitment to those who are closest to us. And so I think as we begin this series, the first thing we want to do is just come back to what is the biblical definition. Because so many ways that we describe love, they're really self-serving, aren't they? Things that make me happy, things that make me feel good, things that uh, please me. And it's not about me, is it? Uh, let's go back to a biblical definition. One of, one of the best, I think, is found in Philippians, the second chapter, verse 4. It says this, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest or needs, but also for the interest or the needs of others. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. That love is a choice to know, first of all, and then to meet the needs of others. And, and, and in case we need to, to clarify that anymore, we go back to the first uh, John, the third chapter, verse 16, and it talks about what he did for us. We know love by this. This is how we can tell what love is, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. It, it's that simple. Our greatest need was that uh, we were separated from a loving God, and we were having to be punished for the fact that we were become the gods of our own life. And Jesus came, and he laid his life down to meet that need so that we no longer had to be separated from God. He met our greatest need. And then it says we ought to love others. We ought to lay our lives down for others. Now, most of us are not going to be asked to actually physically lay our life down for another person, but we're to lay our lives down even as he laid his life down. We're to lay it down in hours and minutes and moments as we see someone's need and we give up a part of our life, a part of our way so that somebody else can have their needs met. Out of that first, that same book, First John, we look in the fourth chapter and if you look on the back of your worship guide today, you have our text. You can also find it in your Bible. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, meeting our need, we ought to also love others, meet their needs, or one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, it's a sign that God has met our needs and we're now free to meet other needs. God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. That's a beautiful concept that when God loves us and meets our needs, it sets us free to meet the, other, the needs of other people. And his love that he's already put in us then becomes perfected it comes to fruition it comes to full fruit and, and so that's what we want to talk about we want to talk about the very practical aspect of love it's not how we feel about somebody else or how someone else makes us feel it's about knowing and meeting needs it was 25 years ago this year that Gary Chapman an anthropologist and a counselor wrote the book the five love languages since that time, he's written the five love languages of children, the five love languages of teenagers, the five love languages of single adults, and then recently he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages of God. And here's his premise. 
In order to communicate effectively with someone else, you need to learn to speak their language. If you go to Beijing, China today, and if you're going to have any chance of communicating effectively, you have to speak their language. It's your responsibility if you're the one who wants to communicate. My brother was a missionary for over 25 years before he became a professor. And uh, the first place that he went was Sri Lanka, right off the tip of India. And he was preaching for about a year, and he wasn't getting a lot of traction. And someone broke the news to him that the translator that he was using was changing all of his sermons to be more culturally acceptable. And so Mike just stopped preaching for a year, and all he's spending all of his time doing is learning the Sinhali language so that he could preach for the remainder of his time in the language of the people. He had to learn their language in order to communicate effectively. Now, here's Gary Chapman's premise. His, his premise is that all of us speak a primary love language, that there's five love languages. There are five things that communicate to us that we are loved, vehicles by which we communicate that, but one of them is our primary love language. And for someone to love us, they have to learn to speak that love language. They have to speak to us in that love language. Now, I'm going to take a poll here, and the poll has been the same in all of our services, by the way. How many of you have ever heard of the five love languages? Will you raise your hand? Almost everybody. Okay, that's great. How many of you, if I left the stage, and I may do that right now, and I came to you, you could name all five. Would you raise your hand? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We lost some folks here. And how many of you would say that you know all of the love languages of each member of your family? Would you raise your hand? Oh, this group needs this message today. <laughs> the hands went like this to this to well, like this. See, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we have heard about. We say, oh, yeah, I know that, but we're not living it. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take the remainder time that we have and take the biblical principle that we have that God has translated himself to us in Jesus Christ. He spoke our language, didn't he? And that we, because of that, we ought to love one another. But to love one another, we've got to learn how to speak the language that communicates love to the other person. What are those five love languages? The first is words of affirmation. The second is quality time. The third is receiving gifts. The fourth is acts of service. And the last is physical touch. Now, here's the reality. Don't miss this. We all need all five of those love languages spoken to us on a regular basis. But there is one of them. I guarantee you there's one of them that screams, I love you, to us. And so this is not about identifying even so much your own love language as it is the people that God's called you to love, the people you work with and the people that you're in church with and certainly the folks in your family and certainly if you're married, your spouse. Are you speaking their love language? It's like the fuel for a car. You know, when you drive up to a, a gas pump, there's diesel fuel and there's unleaded fuel. You better know which one your car takes because you can fill that up and it not really cause it to run very well. And even when it comes to unleaded, there are three different kinds of unleaded that are available there. And pretty soon we'll be pulling up to plug in and natural gas, but that's another story. So what is... What are the love languages of the people that you're seeking to communicate? Let's just very quickly go through these. First is words of affirmation. There are some folks that you can serve them, you can give them gifts, but if you do not say to them, I love you, I'm proud of you, I appreciate you, 
They're not going to hear that you love them. And I can't tell you the number of people that I've counseled over the years who said, all of my life I waited for my mom or my dad to simply say, I'm proud of you, and they never said it. Or to say, I love you, and they never said those words. So easy to do, and yet a person went throughout their entire life and didn't know that they were loved by their parents because their parents never spoke their love language. Now, here's what's interesting about this love language as well as the others. There are dialects. There are subcategories. Even when you talk about words of affirmation, think of all. First of all, there are words of admiration and gratitude. Admiration says who you are. Gratitude says what you have done. And, and, and many times we miss an opportunity to, to tell someone we're proud of them or thank them for what they have done for us. There's also kind and humble words. Whenever you're living life with people, sometimes you have to speak the truth with love. Sometimes you have to tell them tough things. And if we use our words carefully, especially if it's a person's love language, we can use kind words, we can use humble words to tell a tough message, and it can be received. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it says love is kind. In Proverbs, in the 15th chapter, verse 1, it says, a soft answer turns away anger. How we say our words, the tone of our words, sometimes are as important as the content of our words, especially if the person you're speaking to, their love language is words of affirmation. There are encouraging words. When you know that someone that you care about is involved in an endeavor and you get behind them and you say, I believe in you, you can do this, I'm with you, I support you. And then there are words of commitment, I love you. Uh, Whenever I send flowers to Marcia, she knows what's going to be on the card. It's what's been on the card for over four decades. I say forever and always. I know that's redundant. I meant it to be. <laughs> forever and always. What it says is, Marcia, you're stuck with this guy for the rest of your life because I'm not going anywhere. I'm yours. And those are important words to say. Do you have someone in your life whose primary love language is words of affection? And some of us are not very verbal. This is not an easy thing for you to do. You may have to sit down and write out phrases. You may have to take your calendar out and say, you know what, I'm going to schedule writing a love letter. If you can't pull off a love letter, I'm going to schedule a certain amount of time sending a love note. If you can't pull off a love note, say, I'm going to write some love sentences to this person on a regular basis. I'm going to make it a point to compliment them in front of people that they respect and care about. I'm going to tell... Uh, my children how great their mom is and I'm going to tell my children how great their dad and how talented and how hard working he is and by using this wonderful gift that God has given us a tool that can be so destructive and yet a tool that can build up I'm going to use words to love the people in my life you've got anybody in your life whose words of affirmation is their primary love language the next is quality time or undivided attention, as I like to say it. I know this one very well because this is my wife, Marcia's primary love language, undivided attention. I wish her love language was gifts. <laughs> I love to pick out gifts. I love to give gifts, but that's not her love language. I'm, I, I've tried to get her to change <laughs> because I have more money than I have time. <laughs> but it's not her gift. It's undivided attention. We were celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary a couple of years ago. And we were sitting in a restaurant in Dallas, and we looked around. And, and the, I'm sharing this story because uh, the, uh, 
the love language of undivided attention, quality time is under assault today. We looked around the restaurant, and you know what I saw. Eight, ten tables around us, every single person had their cell phone out. All of them were looking down. Nobody was talking to in this wonderful restaurant. I'm sure there are other people there celebrating anniversaries, but they weren't giving each other undivided attention. You have to choose to do that. Uh, my wife has actually, because of her unique giftedness, has made a rule. We call it the Marsha rule. And that is when our family, whether it's with our grandkids, with our children, just her and I, anywhere, cell phones are not allowed to come out of the pocket. I'm sorry. It, it can ring. It can buzz. It can throw up. It can send confetti. We ain't looking at the cell phone while we're, because that time of the meal is a time of communion, and it's changed everything. I appreciate her enforcing that. Because we're all blessed because of that. Undivided attention. Now, this quality time, I find, falls into two categories. One is quality conversations and the other is quality activities. Now, quality conversations, you say, wait a minute, Steve, I thought we already talked about uh, words of affirmation. The words of affirmation, the emphasis is on what you say. In quality conversation, the emphasis in, in, in quality time is on how you listen. When you're spending quality time with someone, you're having a quality conversation, you're saying, how was your day today? What's going on in your life? How are you feeling about what's coming up? What are, what's bringing you joy these days? What's causing fear in your life? How can I pray for you? One of, one of the great holy habits that Marsh and I have is after most meals, we go walking in our neighborhood. Or we come up here during bad weather and we walk around the circle in the church here. And we do that because we're away from telephone, we're away from the television, we're away from the chores that beckon us, uh, we're away from the cell phone. And after about one mile into that walk, we begin to talk about things that we would never talk about. It gets past the surface of who said what that day, and it gets down to feelings. And the most important thing that I can do for a person who has the love language of undivided attention is to listen as they open up their soul and to care about what they reveal. Now, the second half of that is quality activities. Now, the quality activities uh, means that you go and do some things sometimes with someone, not because you enjoy the activity, but because you enjoy them enjoying the activity. And so here's all that has to happen for you to have quality activities together, is that at least one of you must enjoy it, Okay. Number two, the other one is willing to endure it. And number three, both of you know why you're doing it, and that's to express love by just being together. And so if you have someone who they're, they're, this is their love language, ask them, what are five activities that you enjoy doing? And then go and experience that activity with them and enjoy it because they're enjoying it. Uh, many of you know that I have five grandkids. This is a photo of my, my grandkids. And uh, they're just as different as they can be. Jax is our oldest. He's 12 years old. Uh, wears an 11-size shoe. But uh, Jax's activity that he wants to go and do with Pawpaw is any major league sporting event, all right? I know he's on if we're going to the basketball game or the baseball game. It doesn't matter. Just any kind of sporting event. Now, the second one there is Malia, who's there wearing the, the headband there the, uh, in, in the red. And Malia... Her idea of a good date with Pawpaw is watching Pawpaw fall down on the skating rink, all right? 
So she loves to go ice skating. And now, the next one there is Austin. He's sitting right there in the middle. When I say, Austin, where do you want to go today? Austin's answer is always nowhere. <laughs> Austin wants to stay at my house. And he wants us to sit at the table all day long putting together a mega Lego set. And that's his, that's his the, he's died and gone to heaven if there's a, a six or seven bags of small plastic parts. And then there's uh, Boone there who's sitting there on the arm of the chair. Boone's ideal of a great day with Papa is watching a movie where dogs talk and rescue people. And so we do that a lot. And then there's, there's uh, AJ, uh, Austin Joy, and she, Aspen Joy, rather, and she, uh, her ideal of a, a great date with Papa is sitting in the middle of the floor playing peekaboo, all right? Now, if I tried to play peekaboo with Jax, it would not go over real well, all right? <laughs> and here's what I found. I found a lot of parents are uh, in distress because their teenage uh, kids don't want to do things with them anymore. But the problem is, is you're asking your teenagers to enjoy what you're doing, what you've planned, the vacation you want to go on. How about asking the question, what would be fun for you? And you know what? They don't mind you joining those activities. And so quality time is picking activities that the person that you're loving wants to be engaged in and finds rewarding. And then there's receiving gifts. Tangible symbols of love. You know, when someone gets married, they typically exchange rings because that gift symbolizes a deeper relationship. And in the same way, we give gifts to symbolize the value of the relationship. And a lot of people are almost embarrassed to say that my love language, my primary love language, I need all of them, but my primary love language is receiving gifts. It doesn't mean you're shallow and it doesn't mean you're materialistic. It just means that it is a symbol and the way God has wired you that's how you appreciate. And really, the, the price of the gift is not as important unless it is way out of line with what the person who's giving it can afford. But it can be something that's purchased. It can be something that's made. The key to the gift is, I thought of you when I saw this object. I know what your interests are. Here's a unique gift that I picked out just for you. And I took some of my money and I invested in that because I wanted to invest in you. Now, let me quickly say that there's some of us who are here who struggle loving others in this way, and it's because of the perspective that we have on money. We all fall in basically one of two categories. Some of us fall into the spending orientation when it comes to money. We believe that this is money, and we're to live it, and today's uh, here, and it's going to be gone tomorrow, and I want to die broke, okay? There's others of you who keep score by how much you pile up. And how much you make and how much you invest. And you look at somebody and say, why in the world would I buy you flyers that are just going to die tomorrow? <laughs> Besides, I could make 7% interest on that money instead of buying you flowers. Oh, so romantic. All right. <laughs> and what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to change your orientation. In fact, I want to say that this is what expresses love. When we have to step outside of our orientation, when we have to do something that's uncomfortable to us, when it actually costs us something, to love somebody else but you're going to have to face that and deal with that and if you're not used to this if you didn't receive gifts when you were a kid you're going to have to write down some ideas you're going to have to keep a little gift uh, uh, notebook so that you remember what the person likes and what their size is and those types of things you have to plan ahead for that number four is acts of service I have one of my daughters has this as her primary love gift and I can say I love you and she appreciates that and I can give her a gift. You say, well, thanks, Dad. And she'll throw it back in the closet. 
But when I say, honey, is there something that's going on in your life that I can pick up for you right now? I know this is a busy season for you. Or I'll run and, and do something for her. She just feels loved. Uh, maybe you have someone in your, uh, your, your life that's true as well. Maybe your spouse is like that. And, and let me just tell you, that some, guys, some of the mo- most romantic things that you could do would be to vacuum the floor, to clean the toilet, to change a diaper, to pay the bills, to make sure the car is in running order. That's the most romantic thing that you can do. And, and, and let me just stop here and just say, some of you are going to have to get past your preconceived ideas about what a man does in the household and what a woman does in the household. In order to love the person that you're living with who's not hearing that they are loved because you bought a gift, but would like for you to get underneath their load, which is heavy. Uh, that may mean that you do a big major project once a month where you serve them and you solve something in their life by serving them. It may be that you take on some small ongoing task that typically has been theirs, but that it would be easier for you to carry. I remember when I was in seminary that Marcia took over the bill payings because all the things that I had, the balls that I had in the air, I was pastoring this church, I was going to seminary. Uh, and, and she took that on for a time period. It was a loving act for her to do that. And when I graduated, I realized that that was a burden for her. And I said, "Hun, would you like for me to pick that up? She said, she threw the checkbook at me. <laughs> Lovingly threw it, but she threw it at me. She was so glad to not have that pressure of trying to, especially when things were so tight in our lives at that time, the small kids and all of that. And, and so what is it that you can come up underneath someone else and pick up for them that they are currently doing for themselves. And then the last one is physical touch. And, and physical touch is as a part of how God created it. When we, we uh, come and we meet somebody, we reach our hand out instinctively to shake their hand or pat somebody on the back or give somebody a high five. And I realize that this is a sensitive area in our day to. Uh, in this day and age with sexual harassment and all these other issues that we must make sure that especially between genders that the touching that that goes on is welcomed and that it's appropriate and that it's something that someone welcomes. In fact, you can even have the primary love language of physical touch, but there are some touches because you're so sensitive to touch that are irritating to you and distracting to you. So there needs to be a conversation about what is welcomed. But one of the practical things that we can do if we're in a relationship with someone whose primary uh, love language is physical touch is that when we come into a room, that however they want to be touched, that we reach out and we touch them. It's a reaffirmation of the relationship. And when we leave home, especially if you're married to someone whose physical touch is their primary love language, you don't holler from the other end of the house, I'm gone for a day, see you tonight. You take the time to walk in and you give that hug or you give that kiss or you squeeze that hand. Uh, if you're married to someone whose primary love language or you have a child who's primary, and they hold your hand, they reach out for your hand and you pull away because you, you, you've got a high body temperature and you don't like to sweat. Or they squeeze your hand and you are a dead fish and you don't squeeze it back. You don't mean to say this, but what you're saying to them is, I don't really care about you like you care about me. Now, let me just quickly say here, sometimes men get confused about this particular love language. A lot of times men will say, I guess my primary love language is physical touch because of the fact that men, the way God made us sexually, that we have more of a desire to be intimate with our spouses on a regular basis than women do. 
That's code for if you have a first grader in here uh, to know what I'm talking about. Uh, but don't confuse that with the love language. If, if you're, that's a different sermon, okay? If that's a difficulty for you in your marriage, let's set that over here. But if separate from that, you don't uh, uh, crave just hugs and kisses and hand squeezes and sitting next to each other, close to each other, then that's probably not your love language. It's probably not. It's probably something else. Uh, and so what is the love language of the people that you live with? Now, here's some questions that have always come up whenever we've talked about this. First of all, how can, how can I know? Well, here's, here's the reality. Just as I've talked about it today, some of you already know. As I described it, your heart beat a little faster when I talked about uh, words of affirmation say, oh, I wish the people in my life would appreciate me more. They would affirm their love to me more. They would tell me that they're proud of me. There's some of you, when I talked about quality time, just said, that's all I want. I just want some time to connect every day. When we've shut out, we've turned off the television, the cell phone's not competing with me. You've picked it up already. But if you haven't, we want to help you. And so when you came in today, there were some packets that some of you picked up. If you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out. And let me just say very quickly, if you go out one of our side doors and we run out because this is our last service, there'll be plenty in the main foyer. So come on around and make sure you get one of these. It's free. And in there we have all kinds of resources. We have a, a little chart where you can put the names of people that you are close to and what their love language is. And there's some helpful tips about things you always want to do and things you never want to do. Uh, because you can do harm if it's their love language and, you're, and you do these things. And then also we've got a chance for you to go online for free uh, to take a profile that will immediately tell you what your love language is. We've got information in there about how to have this discussion with your children who, are, by the way, are learning about that if they're in our children's program right now and a, and a, and a special sheet on how to do that with your teens. And we even have a date night uh, card on how to have a great discussion about this while you're on a date this week. We want you to find out what your love language is. After you find out what your love language is, at all of our campuses, we have some photo booths, and we want you to go, and we're gonna, we've got some things where you can hold up what your love language is, and you can do a selfie and take what your love language is. Now, you notice there on uh, AJ there, it says, love me always. Because below the age of five, it's hard to tell what somebody's love language is. And so we're just saying to our children, love me in all the ways. And, and we all want to love all in all the ways. But uh, the other day, uh, Boone and Aspen were in the car, and, Boone, and, and Aspen was just chattering away. And Boone said, hey, Mom, I think I know what Aspen's love language is. <laughs> he said, I think it's words. She's saying a lot of them. I don't know what they mean, but I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be words. Well, we don't know, but uh, take the, when you take the photos, we want to give you wristbands that has your love language on it so you can remind everybody in your household what your love language is, and that's free as well. What we want to do is we want to restart a conversation about the fact that God made us all different and that to love one another, we've got to figure out what those differences are, these and other differences, and then we have to take actual actions. We have to be intentional. And here's the great thing is we step outside of our own personalities in order to do it, which is even a greater sign of love. Another question is, do our love languages change over time? Uh, I, I think they do. I, I think they do because we go through different stretches where we have great, greater needs. There are times when we just need someone to hold us. We don't need them to talk to us or say anything. We just need them to have the ministry of, of presence. 
And so we want to be sensitive to that and come back and look at it from time to time. Mostly they don't change, but you can have some life situations that would cause them to change. Is it possible to have more than one love language? Yeah, in fact, what I found is most everybody has a primary love language and then a secondary love language. And sometimes they're very close. Very, very close. Again, we need to be loved and we will appreciate all of them, but they're one that shouts, I love you. And then the final question, what if others do not meet my needs? What if I've told my spouse or I've told my friend or if I've told my parents what my love language is and they refuse to meet me where I am or to give me what I need? What I want to say is, first of all, that uh, our tendency when we hear a message like this to say, yeah, I wish my uh, husband was here today, I wish my wife was here today, or I hope they're listening today. Some of you have even already poked each other today. God bless you for your unholy poke. (laughs) This is not a message about how others ought to love us. This is a message about, where do we begin? Let's go back to our scripture. Beloved, if God so loved us, and he has, we also ought to love one another. No one's seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the proof that we know God, is that he meets that need. You see, you have an emotional love tank. And the truth is, is that God has the ability with or without your family, with or without your friends, with or without your spouse, to fill your love tank. And if you'll turn to him and just say, God, would you supernaturally fill my tank so that I can overflow on others? And if you'll make it your task, if you'll take the challenge to love others in a unique and specific and an intentional and a sacrificial way, a couple things will happen. God will bless you just for doing that. There will be a blessing, a unique blessing, if you will be obedient. And second of all, it will give the best opportunity for the people in your life to have their tank filled so they then would feel like they're able to fill your tank. That's not a guarantee, but we're not dependent upon that. The key is, since God has so loved us, now we have the resources. We have the example to follow. We can love others. That's our assignment for this week. Let's thank God for it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the many ways that you love us and continue to love us. Thank you for calling us to love others even as you've loved us. Thank you for equipping us to do so. I pray for knowledge today, dear Father, that there would be great conversations that would go on uh, among friends and family, among uh, singles and roommates and uh, extended family and in workplaces and even here at church, dear Father, that we would begin to understand what language we need to learn to speak in order to be understood. And that we might communicate what you have communicated to us in Jesus Christ. Love. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.